Hello, my Lonely Hour listeners. This is your host, Julia, and I'm here to tell you that we have a brand new season that you can find on Stitcher Premium. Just go to stitcher.com slash lonelyhour to sign up now. You'll get access to ad-free episodes and archives of some of your other favorite shows, as well as exclusive bonus episodes of hit podcasts, early access to new releases, and over 300 stand-up comedy albums. You'll also have the option to donate to The Lonely Hour, which is the best way to support it. Thank you for helping us keep this show going. I wasn't refined. I still had like this lingering Philly accent and I just had not hung out in the worlds that everybody else had seemed to hang out in, you know? But the adventure was thrilling to me. And I think that was enough. Like when I rented a U-Haul in Boston, to pack up all my stuff to bring it to Philly. They they gave me a much larger U-Haul than they were supposed to give me. They upgraded me. So I had this like 26 foot, I'd never driven a truck before. I was barely driving at that time. And I had to drive this U-Haul from Boston to New York. And it was fucking terrifying. I pulled over so many times and I would pull over if I had to pee, I didn't want to go into a rest stop. So I'd pull over the side of the road, shimmy across the the front of the car, then go in the woods, then come to my, my giant truck. I had to stop every half hour because I was having like panic attacks. But I got that truck to New York and I unpacked my shit and I got it to the U-Haul place. And then I sat in my tiny little shitty room in Brooklyn The feeling of accomplishment filled me up. It curbed my loneliness. I don't know why that is. This is The Lonely Hour. I'm your host, Julia. You just heard from Jennifer Romolini, who is my former boss. Well, she was my boss's boss, really, at Yahoo over two years ago, and she was a strong but empathetic figure. Her media career before and after Yahoo has been impressive, but she moved to New York as a self-proclaimed awkward 27-year-old misfit, the skinny, long-limbed daughter of a working-class Philadelphia couple. Her new book, Weird in a World That's Not, which is part memoir and part career guide, begins... I'm not supposed to be here. I spent the first 28 years of my life as a fuck up and a failure. I failed and I failed and I failed. So, how did she become my boss's boss? How did she grow Hello Giggles' traffic by 500% as the website's editor-in-chief? How did she get to the point where she wrote a book about professional success? I get pregnant at 21 with the manager at the hotel restaurant I'm working at. I am so directionless that I I don't know what to do. And I think, well, maybe this is a sign. Maybe I should become a mother. I also have, was raised by a teenage mother. So it seemed like a natural progression of my life. Waitressing was a really good way to make money. I, but I was really bad at it. I'm, I'm very long-limbed. I'm very clumsy. I bump into things all the time. I I didn't really understand the mechanics of any of it. I had this just 
epically terrible day. I mean, I remember serving, you know, tortilla chips and going back to the table and they these two guys had a plate of roaches. There were three roaches on the plate. They were dead because they had died in the warm chips, <laughs> in the chips warmer. But, you know, <laughs> I, I broke a monstrita on somebody. I literally spilled hot coffee on a deaf man. Like... It could not have gotten worse. And then I'm like mopping him up and his whole family, it was his birthday. His whole family is sad. Like, I mean, it's all awful, right? But then to have somebody, I was sure I was gonna be fired. He let me stay through my shift. It was one in the morning. I was 20 years old. And to have somebody say, you know, I know you really tried hard today. You were terrible. This was a terrible day but I see something in you. And I think that has stuck with me because I think he knew that I wasn't, it wasn't intentional. I really, I wanted to get better. I just didn't have it in me, you know, right out of the gate. I had a miscarriage at four and a half months, a week before our wedding. And I went through with the the wedding anyway, even though I knew I shouldn't. Um, because I couldn't I couldn't face not. We stayed married for three years. We moved around quite a bit because he was a hotel manager and he worked in different hotels, some of which we lived in. The day that I or the night that I decided to leave him and it didn't work. I decided that even if we didn't break up, I was going to start to really get control of my life. I I was just so unhappy. I just had this feeling like, fuck, is this it? Is this all I'm going to get? That That feeling of, oh, not feeling known, not feeling challenged, not feeling like I could be myself in a lot of ways... I felt like jumping into the unknown was better than that, than not being able to have weird ideas and, you know, crack up about weird things. And, you know, I I was living this life where everybody was sort of like, oh, this is mainstream and this is, we're sort of in the middle here. And I didn't feel in the middle. I felt like I had big wild ideas and I was creative and I I felt more alone around people than I did when I struck out on my own, actually alone, if that makes sense. I'd always read the dumb magazines that we had in our house, if it was People or Time or, you know, I, I just, I really liked them and I had always cut out magazines and put them on my wall. People who worked in magazines made me feel jealous. And ultimately, now this is something I apply to everything I want to do. When I feel the most jealous and angry about what somebody else is doing, it's usually because that's the thing I want to be doing. Find out how Jennifer started working her way towards the magazine world after the break. Have you guys heard of HelloFresh? It's one of those meal kit delivery services. 
You sign up for three, four, or five meals for either two or four people, and the ingredients come to your doorstep readily portioned. What I like about HelloFresh is that there are no gimmicks, just good, easy-to-follow recipes. And if I'm honest about the neat freak in me, the cardboard boxes they package the ingredients in look great stacked up together in the fridge. (laughs) This week, I tried a sesame shrimp dish with ginger scallion rice and a burger with red onion jam and zucchini fries. Each cost about 10 bucks after doing the math and took no more than 30 minutes to prepare. For 30 bucks off your first week of HelloFresh, visit HelloFresh.com and enter Lonely Hour 30. That's Lonely Hour 30. You can also find the coupon details in our show notes. My former boss, Jennifer Ronalini, spent years being unhappy. The life she was living as a young adult wasn't the life she wanted. Philadelphia felt like the wrong town for her. She was married to someone who wasn't really a match. She was waitressing but really wanted to be a magazine editor. It became time to make a change. So I made us move to Boston because Emerson College let me into their writing literature and publishing program. And we broke up six months after we moved to Boston. He was really unhappy there. I was very, very happy. I was like, oh, this is, I'm on, I'm on a path somewhere. And then I supported myself through waitressing through 2000. And then I decided, okay, it's time to try to find work. And I didn't want to stay in Boston anymore. I knew all the good magazines were in New York. So I went on 23 job interviews. And eventually, after I had to leave Boston, leave all my stuff in a, in a storage locker, move back in with my parents in Philly, eventually I got a job. I went back up to Boston, packed up all of my stuff in that U-Haul, moved myself down to New York all within five days. Oh, found an apartment, found a room in an apartment all in five days. And then I was in New York. I was in a new adventure. And this is very painful for me because I love my parents very much, but I was not compatible with them. They were not creatives. Um, they are not tremendously intellectually curious. And they're, they have a good life and they are really happy with their life in the place where they live with the people who they live around. And I wasn't. So to sort out how do I leave these parents I love and explore a life that they may never be able to relate to, that I can't really share my my work experiences with them in a way that they're going to that we're going to connect about. That I'm going to start living a life that feels very very far away from the one that I grew up in. And people don't talk about that when we talk about reinvention. We talk a lot about how great it is and the triumph of it, but we don't talk about the pain of it because so now you leave this, this tribe and eventually you build a new history, but it takes a long time. In New York, Jennifer hustled to write whatever she could. That started with fact-checking gigs and then continued with more fact-checking gigs, and everyone told her there was no way she could make the transition from that to writer and editor. That just doesn't happen. But it did happen. She wound up getting a job as the chill-out editor (laughs) at Time Out New York, 
Her parents had long been into New Ageism. Her father was a silent meditator, and Sage was all over the childhood home. And these Eastern philosophies were working their ways into the zeitgeist. New Yorkers were starting to talk about yoga and meditation and cleanses. Jennifer raised her hand and said, I have experience in this. Then she went on to Condé Nast after that job, and then she went on to Yahoo. She was really starting to live her dream, but that doesn't mean it was comfortable. I didn't have the right vocabulary. I didn't understand a lot of the words that people said. My vocabulary was really limited. I had to catch up, and that took a long time. But then, I don't know, you realize how much is a projection of your own bullshit and your own insecurity. Like, how much of feeling awkward and nervous and anxious is just like, oh, you, you, you've projected this fantasy onto people that they that they know so much more than you, that they feel so much more confident than you do. So yes, I felt other all of those times, but part of that was just being young and narcissistic and too in my own head and not realizing that like, oh, I could just connect with this person. This person is not that much different than I am fundamentally, if that makes sense. Like, they might have read more. They might have had a better education than I did. They may have grown up in in a different way than I did. But that doesn't mean that there's not a lot of commonality between us, nor that they have any malice toward me, nor that they can pick up how insecure I'm feeling, or that just because I don't have the right words doesn't mean I'm not smart. So that took a long time to work out. She did work it out. She made what I would call a great success of herself. And she did that in part by learning to embrace her awkwardness, her hypersensitivity, and whatever else made her feel weird in a world that's not. I just embraced who I, my awkwardness, and I stopped. I mean, look, therapy helped. I mean, obviously. So what, what I did was then I was angry for a long time. I would very much be like, oh, this fucking place and these fucking people and, ugh, you know, <laughs> harumph, harumph. And I was like kind of a bucking animal sort of in the middle. Because I really do think that, you know, especially when you're in your 30s as a woman, there's all this fear and anxiety on top of just professional fear and anxiety of like, how's it all going to work out? How's it all going to work out for me? Am, Am I going to have a family? Am I going to find a partner? Am I going to be successful? It's just this middle zone. It's just your 30s. They really are a mind fuck. And I was really angry in that time. I was resentful. I was jealous. I wanted what other people had. More so than the beginning even when I was like hopeful and humble. In the middle, I really kind of, I I forgot to be grateful. I lost track of why I was doing what I was doing. And then I guess somewhere in the last couple of years, particularly particularly after taking the leap to write this book, I was able to reconnect to what I was saying in the book. You know, I, this is who I am and this is how I'm going to be at jobs. This is what I bring to a job. I'm not going to try to be anything else. If you book me on your conference and you want me to be on a panel, I'm going to tell it like it is. I might make people cry. I might cry. I think this shit is emotional. I'm not going to pretend it's not. I could no longer pretend. 
I wanted to just start being honest about it, that I felt sweaty and that my pants were stained and that I, you know, I was shaking in the bathroom before I gave the presentation because I was concerned that all the Wonder Woman posing and all the hashtag bossing and all of this was not only making me feel alien, but it was a bad representation for women who were younger than me, which is the place I'm at now, which is not only that I have to be a good example for the women who work for me, but also I have a daughter. I've had lots of experience of women competing with each other, you know, and getting obsessed with each other to their own detriment, right? Like not focusing on their own work and just really focusing on another person. And I had I had one situation where, you know, meetings, as much as they're bullshit, are also really important. It's where you get to explore ideas together. It's where you get to show off what you know. It's where a lot of progress can be made, right? And I had one employee who was really, really smart, um, but she was terrible in meetings. And she was so terrible in meetings that she resented the other people who were good in meetings. And she personalized these other people being good in meetings to the point that she would say, oh, well, you know, she, she just said that because she wanted to piss me off. I mean, and it got really petty and really catty. And because that's half of what management really is, is dealing with like petty squabbles and like, you know, nipping them in the bud and redirecting the employee. And in a lot of ways, it's, 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 it's like parenthood. It really is. So what I had to say to her was, no, 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 this isn't about anyone else. This is about you. You are really smart, but you are afraid to speak up. And I don't know why that is. But what I think is you need to start exploring that. Because if not, this is going to get into a situation where you are unable to express yourself. You're psyching yourself out. And that's going to start making you fuck up in the day-to-day, and I don't want that to happen. And, you know, she didn't like that conversation, but I knew she was better than the way she was behaving. Work is weird. There are all of these really inorganic ways that we put each other together in working situations. There are all these, like, arbitrary rules and goals and work that doesn't make sense and busy work and egos. And on the other side, you know, bosses who don't fucking know what they're doing, but they've failed up and it takes you a minute to figure that out. And so you're just wrestling with your own stuff. And then you're like, oh, wait, it's them, not me. You know, work is intimate and complicated and much more emotional than most career books talk about. So it wasn't just me being weird. It's that most people who are sensitive and vulnerable, which is most people, have this experience at work, but we don't discuss it. Jennifer also couldn't pretend that the kind of editorial work she was doing was really the dream anymore. She was caught up in things that weren't important to her. Numbers, clicks, quantity. The digital media chasing game didn't feel creative. It felt like the website was a monster she had to feed. Ultimately, she left a lot of money on the table to step away and write this book. 
What I wasn't seeing were portraits of women who were vulnerable and messy and didn't always feel like they had their shit together. I wasn't seeing, I wasn't, this the success books I didn't feel like were being written by people who were really actually at least owning that they were neurotic. I mean, the ways in which I'm weird are that I walk into a room and I feel nervous that I'm not... I, I'm very anxious about being social. I have a very hard time public speaking, you know, but I do those things anyway. And I'd reached the point where I was like, oh, wait, I am pretty successful. And two things. One, I still had a lot of those feelings of, oh my God, I'm a garbage person. Oh my God, I can't believe I'm here, which I think is normal. But secondly, What I was seeing was a lot of um, millennials and a lot of bullshit around millennials being entitled when what I really thought was that they had just not been properly mentored. And I I felt like there was nobody who told them the sort of ins and outs of, yes, it's okay to be sensitive, but here's how to write an email. It's okay. We all feel like frauds, but you can still go after a good job with a good, with a good salary. Now that she's finished her book, Jennifer is taking on a new professional role as chief content officer for Shondaland.com, the digital extension of powerhouse TV producer and author Shonda Rhimes's brand, Shondaland. Well, I mean, look, a person like Shonda Rhimes calls you and says, hey, I have a project you might be interested in. It's just not a meeting you turn down, um, you know? <laughs> Um, And I really was like, I was in like just onesies. I was wearing like just these cotton jumpsuits every day. Like I was, I was not fit for public consumption. You know, I was not ready to do this. (laughs) And I think because I wasn't ready and because I had had this whole year off, I went in and I talked to her and we, it was scheduled to be a half hour meeting. We wound up talking for two hours. I told her what I thought about the internet and what I thought about content, quote unquote, And we were on the same page. You know, she is courageous and she is defiant and she really represents strength and success to me in an interesting way, in a profound way. And I thought, okay, like all the other moves I've made in my career, like, oh, this is interesting. There's a lot to learn here. And so I'm going for it. I mean, we're going for it. We're going to launch in the fall and it's not going to be the running and chasing and the, the game and the, the pings and the dings and the, the likes and the it's we're going to make a real thing written by people who have a lot to say. And I'm really excited about that. Go buy Jennifer's book, Weird in a World That's Not, which is out this week. Do you have questions about this episode? You can email me at lonelyhourpodcast at gmail.com. You can reach me on Twitter and Instagram at lonelypodcast, or you can find me on the Lonely Hours Facebook page. Sign up for our newsletter at thelonelyhour.com, and you'll be the first to know when the next episode drops. Until then, enjoy yourself. This episode was produced at The Listening Booth with executive producer Terrence Mickey, producer Chris McLeod, and me, assistant producer Carrie Ann Thomas. 